Father, sometimes it's, well, most of the times we're trying to build our own kingdoms. Whether it's in your work or the work of the world, we see ourselves as the center of the universe. Our experiences are the only experiences ever had. What we've seen, the only things seen. We're so self-centered. And yet, Father, we praise You. We worship You, Father, Spirit, Son, because You are the center. You are the One, the Creator. Lord, and Your Son, Jesus Christ, has the name above all names. We thank You, Lord, that we can worship You in this way this day. We pray, Father, that Your Spirit would be able to move freely among us, that there would be no hindrances, that the music and the prayers we've already heard have already cleansed our hearts in preparation for the Word. Lord God, we thank You for who You are and what You've done in our lives and what You will do throughout eternity. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. Please, please be seated. Victor Hugo was France's uh, most notable 19th century author. And he was probably the greatest author that France has uh, ever produced. His works include The Hunchback of Notre Dame, The Legend of the Ages, and, and, and my personal favorite, Les Miserables. I read that book while I was a young man before I became a Christian and it, it staggered me with its power. Barbara and I have listened to the performance scores of times and we've seen the stage production at least, at least three times. Now, as a young man, Hugo was a, a devout Catholic, but he felt that the church placed too much emphasis on law and not enough emphasis on grace. And so consequently, he uh, gradually became disillusioned with the church. And finally, in later life, sadly, he, he rejected it altogether. Unlike the reformer Martin Luther's wrestling match between law and grace, which led him to redemption, Hugo's led him to rebellion. But as a part of that process, we see before our very eyes his wrestling match in Les Miserables. The entire story revolves around the central question, is man to be saved by law or by grace? The main character, Jean Valjean, is a man consumed by hatred. We often look at the book, if you know the story, we see how he ended. We don't need to look at how he ended right now. We need to look at how he started. He was a man consumed with rage. He had spent 19 years in a prison for a petty crime. He stole a bit of bread. But by the end of it, he had very little humanity left. He was not a gentle man. He was a very strong man. He was a dangerous man. He was a hardened criminal. He had never known love, compassion, or kindness. 
He was as lost a man as there ever was one. Now, the entirety of the book hinges upon a single moment. Because after Jean Valjean was released from prison, what he discovered was that there is no life in France at that time for a convicted felon. Not only could he not find work, inns wouldn't even allow him to sleep there. And he realized that his life was only destined for more crime. So in desperation, he happened upon the cottage of the Bishop of Din. Now the bishop extended every kindness to Valjean. Every kindness. He treated him like an equal. He loved him like a brother. He invited him in not only uh, to eat and to share at his table, but also to spend the night. Trusting in God only, the bishop never secured his belongings, which included a fair amount of silver. And Valjean decided to steal it all. He stole it and he took it. And he was almost caught immediately back to the law, back to the strap on his back, the incessant labor with no end and no relief. Yet, when confronted with this, the bishop says, I made these as a gift to him. And not only that, he chastened him, Valjean, because he didn't take the silver candlesticks as well that he gave him. Valjean had known all about the law. And he had never been confronted with grace before. He didn't know what it was. And so this single act of kindness threw him in a turmoil. Who was he? Who was this man? How, how could this be? Was it possible that a man filled with rage and anger and hatred without remorse, be redeemed. And Valjean emerged from this struggle, from his emotional chaos, with one irrevocable decision. Decision, and that was this, to dedicate himself to showing kindness to others. Kindness that was not earned, nor could it be repaid. To the lives of the title of the book, Les Miserables, Those Miserable Ones. Victor Hugo, and you have to understand this, this book is not simply a story about what was happening in France at that time. This was an internal struggle that he was having between law and grace and law, you know, was presented in the most difficult way. He accurately understood the contrast between law and grace and his implications. Sadly, his final analysis led to a man-centered conclusion. Just be kind to one another. Kind. But it was bereft of a foundation. And kindness runs out when it doesn't have a true foundation. So what are the requirements that God has on us to rest on the true foundation where we can offer kindness at all. 
What requirements does God require for us to fulfill in order to please Him? You know, there are more than 600 laws in the Bible. 600 laws. Must we meet all of them in order to have grace, in order to have redemption? There are 31 feasts or holy days between the uh, Judaism and Christianity in terms of the the calendar. Must we celebrate all of them to find the grace of God? You might be surprised in finding it's all summed up in one verse in the Old Testament. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is it that the Lord requires of me? And Micah says this, do justice. I love that word, do justice. It's an action. Love, kindness. Actually, let me take a liberty here and make my own translation. Do loving kindness. And walk humbly with your God. I mean, what would the world be like if there were, it was only populated by people who loved God, who loved people, who loved justice, who loved kindness and humility? That's a long way down the road, so I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. But turn again to 1 Corinthians 13.4. Ron mentioned that we spoke on 13.4. Last week, this week, next week. But I trust that you'll be able to find as we plumb the depths of some of these words that it's significant. There in 1 Corinthians 13.4, we read, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. And so... Our focus today in this verse is a single word, kind. So what does it mean to be kind both in inclination and action? Now we we need to explore the very nature of kindness in self to include its definition. I mean, definitions aren't that easy. That's something that I discovered uh, at Boston University when I took a class called... uh, uh, psychology and religion. And the whole point of the class, not the whole point, but one of the things that it was designed to impress on you is that we use words all the time that we have no idea what they mean. And we're very comfortable in doing that. So, for example, here this, this word religion, if you look it up, defined by the Oxford Dictionary, it says this, a state of, uh, of life bound by religious vows. The condition of belonging to a religious order, order. A religious order itself. The performance of religious rites or observances. Now, perhaps you, as I do, love words. If you listen, this is, that was the Oxford, right? That's like, you know... That's the highest level you can go to. At no point did you hear any definition. The definition of religion by the Oxford Dictionary itself was defined by being religious. So how do you know if you're religious? Well, I guess you're part of religion. 
How do you define religion? By being religious. That's a little bit of a... You get the thing here? It's a little bit of a circle. What does it mean? Oh, and you may really get down to some things. Well, it has something to do with the deity. Well, I don't think Buddhists believe in deity or deities for that matter. Uh, and what about the secular humanists? The Supreme Court de- declared to the world in 1961 they were a religion. So what in the world does religion mean? So that's what, yeah, this is where we get into difficulty, right? My only point there is that kindness is not that easy to define. And I'm going to try to narrow it down for us a little bit here. So words matter. In our word today, kind matters a great deal. It's a very underrated word. In fact, it's probably the most underrated word in the English language. And that's because it keeps bad company. The bad company, which is actually good company in certain ways, is the word nice. Being kind and nice in the English language are almost seen as synonymous. But they are not. They're not even close to one another. And that's what we're going to look at here. Is This biblical understanding of being kind is vastly different from being nice. Being truly kind, in fact, is not a human trait. It is a fruit of the Spirit of God and as such is therefore supernatural. You cannot reach down and have the kindness that God gives in your heart without God having given it. It's not something we produce. It's not there. Galatians 5.22 tells us that it's a gift. It's something that God gives to us. So as we're looking at this in terms of looking and defining and exploring this word, many of you uh, follow our Isaiah study on, on Wednesday nights. In 2 Chronicles 32.25 tells us this passage Uh, Hezekiah's heart was proud and he did not respond to the kindness God had shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was against Jerusalem. Now, you need to know that Hezekiah later repented and how this relates to our discussion is that this word is used in Romans 2, 4 where it says that God's kindness is designed to bring people to repentance. God's kindness remained with Hezekiah and Jerusalem even while they were in opposition. And that's what ultimately led to Hezekiah's repentance. Ephesians 4, chapter 3, uh, I mean, uh, uh, verse 32, tells us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So kindness has more to do than simply smiling or being pleasant with someone. It has to do with actions that are designed to lead to repentance, tenderheartedness and forgiveness and not simply being nice. And being nice may be a person's natural disposition. 
When you study personality, you discover that some people are just nicer than others. That's a fact. You discover also that some people are more abrasive than others. That's a fact. That's human personality. But kindness, whether you're naturally uh, pleasant or naturally less pleasant, kindness as a gift of God can run through your heart regardless of where you are on the personality spectrum. Biblically speaking, uh, kindness, by the way, uh, may not be all that pleasant. When you look in the Bible, it, it may not be. Uh, Psalm 141.5, one of my new favorite verses. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. <laughs> it's a kindness to be struck by a righteous man. Now, I hope we're talking about, you know, kind of a, a, a verbal striking. <laughs> no, no physical challenge there. But there was one. You remember the story when Jesus went into the temple and Jesus made a whip and Jesus turned over the tables and money was everywhere and He scattered the, the, the people out of the temple, spilled their coins all over the place. Now that action was not nice. No one would ever classify that action as nice, but it was kind. It was kind because Jesus was laying bare their need for redemption and their sin. Now, that would have felt like a blow to the head. Now, let's go from Oxford to Webster here, because we need to look. I've been using nice a lot. Let's look at how Webster defines nice. Nice means pleasing, agreeable, well executed. You know, nice job. Uh, Characterized by something that's appropriate or fitting, socially acceptable or polite. Okay, that's, that's how Webster de- defines nice. Kind is something different. Kind is a, of a sympathetic, this is still Webster, sympathetic, helpful, forbearing nature characterized by sympathy, forbearance, affection, and love. Okay, so let's sort this out. Nice, in a word, has to do with the external. This is what society's demands are placed on you as the lubricant to get along with people in a fallen world. You be nice to one another. Okay? So that's what's going... It's an external... It has to do with polite society. It has to do with being pleasant and pleasing, agreeable, socially correct. Kindness, on the other hand actually doesn't really care about social conventions. Kindness is not external, it's internal. It's how our heart considers others as a matter of helpfulness and it's characterized by mercy and compassion. The word often translated as mercy in Micah 6.8 and Many of you know this. If you don't, this actually may be a a profundity issued in your hearing, as uh, as one of my favorite preachers used to say, is not actually the word mercy. Mercy is not in the text at all. doesn't appear there's a perfectly good Hebrew word for mercy. Rather, it's the word hesed. And that should ring a bell for all of us. Hesed is that which means loving kindness. 
we sing the song, Thy chesed is better than life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. What does the Lord expect of you? He expects you to be kind in inclination, the inclination of the heart as well as deed. You see, a nice person conforms to the behavior that society requires of them generally because they need something, safety, security, or they want something, be it emotional or financial, whatever, it doesn't matter. Kindness, however, doesn't stem from any social conventions at all. Kindness stems from an other-centeredness, a deeply rooted love that reaches out to others in their need and in their pain. The difference between nice and kind may seem like a distinction without a difference for some of you, but let me tell you, they are genuine markers of two entirely different kinds of people. The nice person is self-focused. Now, everybody keep being nice. I'm, you just have to understand, you've got to, add, you've got to add kindness to it. So, alright. With that in mind, though we see that Jesus' act of turning over the tables in the temple, while not nice, was in fact a response to others' suffering because they were outside of the will of God and His goal was to bring them to repentance. Kindness comes from wanting to alleviate someone around you of their pain or their difficulty or whatever uh, you see. And you can see these acts of kindness all around you. Some may have had an act of kindness uh, done for you, you may have done an act of kindness for others. Rabbi Abraham Joshua uh, Heschel, one of the, he was one of the leading Jewish theologians and philosophers of the last century. He wrote this, When I was young, I admired clever people. Now that I am old, I admire kind people. And what kind of person, what type of person do you want to be, uh, you want a good friend who is kind or who is nice. A nice person will not tell you when you're closing in on the edge of sin. A kind person will. A kind person will warn you. A nice person will not. Would you rather have a good friend? Be kind or nice? A kind parent is kind, not simply nice. A nice parent allows their children to do things perhaps that they shouldn't for fear that the child may not like them anymore or might be mad at them for a moment. A kind person will tolerate the pain and the agony of being rejected for a moment in order to allow that child to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Or about, how about being a child, a kind child, as opposed to a nice child. It's difficult to understand, are they being nice and polite simply because they were trained that way? Or is it an inclination of the heart? I think you need both, obviously. But I am tuning the stereo a little bit so that you can see the difference. For some of us, 
you know, uh, including me, the daily commute. I only go a mile and a half. <laughs> the daily commute is the crucible of kindness. You know, am I generously inclined towards these people, including the one who just cut me off? And more often than not, I am not. A kindness is no small thing, but it yields both the fruit in our lives and the lives of those around us. Proverbs 21.21 says this, Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. You know, I, this is as someone who I spend a lot of my time understanding people and helping people understand themselves and helping me understand myself. But one of the things that I see all the time, all the time, is this: we aren't even kind to ourselves. If I were, let me ask you two questions. Question number one. When was the last time you were kind to yourself? When was the last time that you congratulated yourself for a job well done or positively remarked about yourself about a character trait or some uh, exercise of a gift that God has given you or even perhaps uh, your appearance in a new uh, outfit or something? If I gave you a piece of paper and I said, write ten things, we'd be here the rest of the time. You're trying to figure out ten things. But the other question, if I gave you a piece of paper and I said, when was the last time you condemned yourself and criticized yourself and had negative thoughts about yourself and wished that you were better and you weren't there for this and you weren't there for that, you weren't good enough, you didn't measure up enough, you probably already got ten things in your head right now. A kindness is something that we have to practice is something the Lord gives to us. The meaning of the word kind in Scripture can be summed up in this one word, steadfast love. Thy loving kindness. We saw in Micah 6, 8 in Hebrew, the word is hesed. Now, you may... Okay, I've gone through the whole message. I've only got about five minutes left. But here's what I need to tell you. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, the word... For kind that is used there is the word that's in the Septuagint. That is the Greek translation of the Old Testament for Micah 6, 8. In other words, what Paul is trying to tell us is that you need to have hesed in your life even as God the Father has shown hesed to others. The Apostle Paul tells us, be kind to one another. Peter tells us to add brotherly kindness to the other godly virtues that God is developing in us. And true kindness comes from the Spirit of God. Don't try to be kind. I'm just telling you right now. It's just another flesh effort in order to please God on your own instead of God working through you. Kindness is something that God, through the Spirit, runs through your heart into the lives of others. The Christian can manifest kindness by being attuned to situations and then being able to listen and hear. Now, Barb's inner ear is way better than mine. 
So she'll be kind. She'll be kind to people, and I'm like, I, you know, especially, you know, I'm not real good with people on the side of the road. I'm not. Nevertheless, if we attune our hearts, even then on occasion, I have heard the Lord say, yes. So even though I'm somewhat deaf in that regard, I thank God that my wife is is not. We conduct ourselves in a manner pleasing to God And how do we do that in kindness? Who does God send the rain on? Do you think He cares? When He sends the rain to you and to those outside of the church? No, it was raining just a while ago. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Listen to this. I know there are some things about the character of God that that are, are baffling and that are, that are difficult to understand, such as He cannot love you more than He already does, no matter what you've done, and no matter how you feel about Him. Do you realize that He is as equally kind to you and I who sit here and glorify His name as He is to the person in the street who shakes their fist in the face of God? Kindness is just who God is. And that's why, I mean, one of the reasons why Christ, of course, had to die on the cross. In November of 1972, this is a very long story, which I'm going to make very uh, very brief, but the, uh, the army transferred me uh, from the Presidio of Monterey, California to field artillery training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Now, for the next part of the story, please make allowance that I was barely 18 at this time. And so, the notion of planning a trip, which I don't do anyway, um, and checking weather and that sort of thing, just not something I did, certainly uh, then. So, I left for Presidio Monterey with all my earthly goods and a duffel bag on the back of my motorcycle. On November the 24th, on my way to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Did I go down to 10? No. No, The shortest route is to go 40. 40 goes over the Rockies, goes through Flagstaff. And so I'm driving down the road, no wind, no shield, no nothing, right? And I ended up having to buy a helmet just to keep my face warm, but... Before I was, I, and I, I had to stop short of Flagstaff, I had cardboard taped to my handlebars, uh, my arms, my chest, and my legs, so I wouldn't freeze to death because it was snowing, it was dark, and it was below freezing. And here I'm driving along, and I can't, I, my hands are starting, I got, I'm losing all the fine motor control, right? And so I just said to myself, self, I'm going to die out here. I'm either going to run off this road or i got to do something. And so I saw the lights of a little farmhouse up off the road. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to go up there in the night 
And here I am. I got all my clothes on in layers, and I've got an army great coat on. I don't know if it's just a big giant coat, right? And I go up, and I can't even I can't knock on the door, right? So I'm kind of against the door. And so the, a lady, she answers the door, and her husband's, of course, right behind her. And I said, "Listen, I'm in the army. I'm in the, trying to get to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and I'm I'm freezing." And of course, they could see that I was freezing. And uh, their son was in Vietnam at that very moment. Not only did they let me warm up, they invited me in. I shared a meal at their table. I was able to take a warm bath. I was able to sleep in a warm bed. An act of kindness that for the really, I think the first time in my life, allowed me to see a kindness that existed that I was able to ultimately relate to the kindness of God. I I did learn a couple of lessons. One, leave well after the sun was up and stop well before the sun (laughs) was down. But I was so deeply grateful. In closing, we read about the most overwhelming act of kindness ever in Titus 3, 4 through 6. Listen to these words. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ. The kindness of God our Savior, He saved us. The cross was dark and cold. But were all the kindnesses ever added and put to one account, it would not pay the interest on a single day of eternity for the kindness that God showed us through Jesus Christ. I invite you if you do not know Him, to trust Him today. Father, we are so enamored in love, close to just who You are. And and it, it, it's not simply staggering to us who You are and that, that You could... Be kind, but Lord, that You showed kindness in sending Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for the joy set before Him that we might have life, that we might have abundant life. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, that we might see Your kindness. And that in seeing that kindness, as the Spirit moves through us, we can be kind to one another. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.